0: Today, we have back with us Andrew Preuss. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Welcome back, Andrew.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: We are looking at the essay that you provided for the Festschrift in honor of John Stevenson, Servant of Christ's Church. The title of your paper is Institution, Promise, and the Certainty of Salvation, a Survey of Luther's Pro Veritate. Of 1518. And you begin where most of us who went through seminary had it drilled in our heads. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to define something in the church, whether it be baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, confession and absolution, whatever you're going to define in the church, it must be rooted, grounded, firmly, set upon the Mandate and Institution of Christ. We see this throughout the Catechism. What is baptism? Uh, and then it quotes the Mandate and Institution. What is the Lord's Supper? And then it quotes the Mandate and Institution. You take this up with regard to the ministry. Um, why is this so important to to begin with the Mandate and Institution instead of beginning with um, extraneous things? Maybe not extraneous, or just what we see.
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean, this reflects on what what we all should value from uh, from uh, Doctor John Stevenson. Um, I remember when I was when I was deciding that I wanted to go to St. Catherine's for seminary. I had heard that uh, that the Well, I I was I was really concerned about the teaching of the ministry because my dad had just gone through a big battle in the ELS on the, the view of the ministry. And it was basically the Wisconsin position um, versus kind of the Missouri position that both existed in the ELS. uh, Well, both exist in the Missouri Senate too, but. um, (laughs) And the Wisconsin uh, (laughs) Senate. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, so anyway, so I was just concerned about that issue. And I remember writing an email to the faculty um, and just asking them their positions on this, and Stevenson was very clear on it. Um, but one of the things I learned to really appreciate about Stevenson as a uh, as a historian is that he would he would not tolerate and any good historian is going to do this. He will not tolerate mere conjectures or you know uh, uh, something that you're you're just you know. Imputing on the past certain present presuppositions, um, and that really is a principle. It's a classical principle for learning. Um, you know, we talk a lot today about classical education, uh, and we we all learned the Latin phrase "ad fontes," uh, which was one of the themes of of Renaissance humanism—to um, go back to the fountain, right—to go back to the sources. Um, and and that's something that you learn in history, uh, and uh, and and you should learn in theology. And so the reason why that's important is so that you are not defining God's this gift from God. You're not defining the ministry according to your own presuppositions or whatever the status quo may happen to be at that time. And you find this. You find that it's almost inevitable that we do that because we are naturally going to first notice the things that are around us. Um, and even when you look at someone like Ignatius of Antioch, I mean, he's like, you know, early second century um, and uh, late first century. And in and when he talks about the threefold office, you can tell that he's dealing with something that it, that he has inherited or has developed and has become kind of the status quo mm. um at least f- as far as he can experience it and then he he uses it to teach uh the trinity and 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 all that and to teach and, and to sh- teach them to be respectful of their bishops and their presbyters and their deacons um and and so you can see it already happening there uh but so 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 it's helpful then to go back to the sources and see, okay, well, what are these guys building upon? Hmm. And they might run in this or that direction, um, but let's go back first to what they're building upon. Um, and, and you know, this is something that, uh, you know, I don't mention him at all in my essay, but Herman Sassi, uh, his uh, his book, This Is My Body, is a really good historical treatment of how the mass uh, became this sacrifice of the mass, right? Uh, you, you look at how, you know, how it began, where you have uh, people giving their offerings and that being associated with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and then it just kind of goes from there. But, but what Luther's dealing with in his day, uh, with the mass and with the ministry as a whole, is the people are defining the Lord's Supper and the ministry uh, according to the, the outward forms that have developed and that they are then used to. Right. And, so there, it uh, seems so,
0: yeah. it it seems that there is a subtle rejection of Aristotelian definition here. Instead of instead of looking at what you see and building from there, starting with what is again going back to those sources. How, how was it instituted? Who mandated yeah. it? and and what yeah. what was said about it instead of this is what we see and so then the definition begins to change because of what we see so if we if we formulate it based on what we see uh building from from there uh, it's going to the definition will look different than if we're building from actually its mandate and institution
1: yeah exactly yeah and that doesn't mean that we necessarily reject what we see
0: no, uh, no, not at all. And, and, and I didn't mean that yeah. disparagingly. I no, no, like I, Aristotle. Yeah yeah. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I get I get what you're saying. And um you know, and we, we we do learn some good dialectics from Aristotle, even though we we gotta be careful that we don't rely too heavily on them and we could we don't need to run down that bunny trail today about uh how that how that can affect theology. But there is there's something to say about getting to the efficient cause, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, w- where does all this originate in uh, and, and, and uh, who does it originate in and, and, and how do you know, you know, so it yeah. originates in God in Christ and well, where did he actually do it? Uh, mm-hmm. He, he did it. He established the ministry when he told his apostles to preach the gospel yeah. to all nations, to forgive and retain sins, to, Administer the Lord's Supper to to teach yeah. uh, all things that He has commanded, um, and so that's what we go back to, and uh, and then we can look at the stuff that we have now. We can look at the order, and, uh, the order of it all, and then consider: okay, is this according to God's order? So to kind of give like a brief summary of sort of my whole point here is is the the, the focus of this this article that I wrote was not to get into the order of the ministry like who uh not so much to get into like who should and shouldn't be in the ministry Mm -hmm. um that is that certainly uh you know we could say capable men should be in the ministry and they should be called according to uh the good order of the church that and as the church is relying on god's word but um but the the focus here that i wanted to get into is is the is the when we go back to the sources uh, what is it that we're really pinpointing on we're pinpointing on God's promise and it's God's promise then that uh, brings with it actually order. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so there's this idea that if we go back to the institution that we're kind of minimalizing things, right. And we're saying, well, all that matters is that just that the gospel is preached and how it's preached who preaches it doesn't really matter. And there's some truth to that. You know, like Paul talks about this in Philippians where some, some preach in, in in pretext, some preach in truth, or pretense, some in truth. Um, and he rejoices that the gospel is being preached. And, and that's a good attitude to have, but that doesn't explain the whole thing. That doesn't mean then that, oh, well, who cares who is actually being called to preach? And Paul makes that clear in 1 Timothy and and Titus, you know, what what kind of people should be serving in this office. Um so so one of the ways that uh you know, so I start off my article talking about, you know, Luther's Babylonian captivity of the church and that's where we we're probably most used to seeing Luther argue this point that you mm-hmm. go back to the sources, right? So so you don't you don't start with all of the ornaments and the chants and the prayers and all of the things that we're doing, the whole pageant tr- pageantry of outward things, as Luther says. But we got to go back to the institution of Christ and the promise that is that is central to that institution. So he really, Luther, and he does this all the time. You see this in the large catechism where he talks about the command and the promise, mm-hmm. that they really go together. The institution and the promise go together. Um, and so Luther is, he, this, is this is where where Luther really gets his evangelical approach is uh, a a grounding faith in the promise. But then what you find in certain, you might call them Luther Renaissance people, certain people uh, in the Luther Renaissance, uh, what they would try to do is say that, well, Luther is really only interested in the benefits of the sacrament or the benefits Mm. of of the ministry. And so whether, you know, the, the, the actual form of this ministry or of the sacrament is, is, is believed doesn't, that's not really the main thing. That doesn't really matter as much. And that's something that Stevenson, I mean, back when he was probably my age or even younger, uh, he wrote an article um, that I remember it was one of the first things I read by him uh, because I had this, I had my grandpa's fest um, called *A lively legacy that I believe was from like 1985. Um, and uh, Stevenson helped edit it. And at the time Stevenson, I believe was serving as a vicar in Iowa, but he was kind of going through colloquy um, into the, into the Missouri synod and had already, I believe it already earned his PhD and, uh, and in this article, uh, he talks about the Lord's Supper, and it's something like the, the Eucharist as central to the Christian life. So it's called something like that. Um, but he takes issue uh, with, um, with a couple different, a uh, few different figures, um, uh, Hans Krass, Paul Althaus, and Reinhold Sieberg. And what they argued is that Luther's early development of his sacramental theology Emphasized the promise of forgiveness, but it did not stress the importance of the real presence, Mm. right? So so what they're doing is they're, they're taking this going back to the institution business as, oh, well, let's not worry about the external stuff at all. Uh, Well, when Luther says, let's not worry about, let's not start with the external stuff. He's talking about human ceremonies. Like Mm. when, what kind of prayers that you do, what kind of chants that you do? but he's not undercutting the actual form of the sacrament itself,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is more than just the narrow promise. The narrow promise is the main thing in the sacrament, as we say in the, in the small catechism. Um, but with that then brings, it brings with it the whole package that this is the body and blood of Jesus. And if you if you undercut that this is the body and blood of Jesus – well, then you lose the promise. And so Stevenson responds. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, you only have the for you because of the words um, stated here body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So yeah. you got the promise for you, but it's connected to the body and blood uh, in with and under the bread and wine instituted by Christ for us Christians to eat and to drink. So. You don't have for you without those other things.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what uh, and that's the point that Stevenson makes then is that the body and blood are the sign in the sacrament. They're the efficacious sign, mm-hmm. um, and so it's not so when when Luther refers to it as a sign, uh, you know, some people would argue, oh, well, Luther is just saying that this is just kind of symbolic or whatever. And, and, and Stevenson's like, no, you're missing the point that this is the very sign itself um, It is the body and blood of Jesus. And if you don't have that, then you don't have the actual, you know, material blessing that it actually brings. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, so this is, so from here, then I, I apply, I show, I, I try to show uh, in my brief uh, essay here about how Luther does this with the ministry itself. Um, so he, Luther doesn't just do this with, this, with the Lord's Supper. And in fact, earlier on, it began with a it came, it came out of a, a debate over penance um, yeah. and confession and absolution, um, and that's really what his uh, his pro veritata um, are. Uh, well, the the long the long, uh, the, the long uh, 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 you know. Title is "Pro Veritata Inquirenda et Timoratis Conscientiis Consolandis," or for seeking the truth and comforting frightened consciences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we'll just call it "Pro Veritata" or "Veritata," whether you do an ecclesiastical or classical pronunciation. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, that that. So these these are from uh, fifteen eighteen. So they've been the same year as the Heidelberg disputations. Um, and this is where Luther is specifically addressing the issue of penance um, and, uh, and, 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 and absol- confession and absolution.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so what, what Luther's getting at here very narrowly is this unity of the promise and faith. And if you remember in the Babylonian captivity, what does he say the mass or the sacrifice of the mass does? He says the sacrifice of the mass serves as a wall that stands between the promise and faith, Mm. right? So that's that wall is that, is those kind of status quo things that have replaced and usurped the institution itself. And, and it's, it's not, it's not just because uh, uh, Luther's not just arguing based on order, like, well, you don't, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Um, But first and foremost, he's arguing for the certainty of faith because how is faith certain? Because it, faith is certain because it relies on the promise. And, and Melanchthon right. picks up on, you know, in his, in, in the apology, Article four, where he's like, wherever the promises, there's faith, wherever faith is, there's the promise. And, yeah. uh, and so that's, that's really at the core of it. But then what I'm trying to show here is that, is that uh, in finding in, in, in going back to the promise, in going back to the institution, Luther is going back to the promise. Yeah. Um, but with that, then, it it brings about, it carries with it um, a very concrete form, right? So yeah. it's it's not just this abstract thing. Um, yeah. When you go back to the promise, you have the whole package.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. So, so at the time of Luther's writing, uh, and even probably now, um, you know, we live either as tax collectors or Pharisees. So, yeah. um, so, you know, we see, oh, the Pharisee's bad because he tithed 10%, so tithing 10% must be bad. He fasted twice a week, so that must be bad. We're not going to do that. Uh, and so we don't do follow the example of the tax collector, which is to confess sin. We just do whatever is opposite of the Pharisee um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, become worse than a tax collector or worse than a Pharisee. Um, is, is there s- something similar going on here where where people who are listening to Luther then say, oh, well, if we're going to make the sacrament what it is, that means we have to do nothing like what we see in the Romish papist churches. And so take a, make it very bare minimum. And and is that what is Luther is arguing? It sounds like what you're saying, Luther's arguing, no, we don't base it on what we see. We base it on what Christ has actually said. And so yeah, it's not- so you can
1: definitely, well, yeah, you can so- certainly see the the seeds of this. Now, we're not going to see that come to fruition until later on when Luther, yeah. you know, in like 1522 and, and onward, where Luther's in Wartburg and you actually have guys like Karlstadt who are knocking down statues and all that kind of, and the radical reformers uh, moving in. Um so that's where Luther is going to get very clear on you know with his against the heavenly prophets but even with against the heavenly prophets he still sticks to his same uh his he sticks to the same program yeah and that is go back to the word
0: right right, right.
1: so 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 it's so Luther isn't like it's not like when Luther comes around and sees oh people are abusing the gospel and taking this to be a minimalistic thing so we should just destroy all outward uh, vestiges it's not like he's saying, "Oh, whoops, I went too far." Um, no, he goes back to what he's been saying for for a few years, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think you can now Oswald Bayer uh, he calls this uh, these theses. This is how I found out about these theses. I was reading something by him, and he calls these theses uh, the first Reformational text because it treats hmm. the promise and faith. Um, and, and brings about an articulation of the, the 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 assurance of salvation. I thought that was really interesting, and that's what that's what prompted me to start looking at these theses uh, that aren't, as far as I know, they might be in the works somewhere for the with the American edition. Um, someone might be, uh, but uh, translating them or have has translated them. But I I just started translating them um, in uh, when I was in my STM year. So I mean that was like. 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, Dr. Stevenson was very, he was, he was very instrumental in getting me to study Latin. Uh, my brother Christian had tried to get me to study Latin a couple times, uh, before that. And, uh, Stevenson actually got a class for me. He got one of the pastors who's really good at Latin, uh, Dwayne Peters, uh, who was my, uh, he was my, uh, fieldwork supervisor to teach a class on theological latin and so so i was still pretty new to latin but i was through especially through the prompting of dr stevenson and him giving me sources to read i was you know getting more into it so it took me especially getting into the parish um you know and just you know how it is where you might you get to a project and then you fall away and you get back and you know Mm -hmm. and uh or maybe you don't. Maybe you're super duper diligent, like my brother Christian. Um, but uh, but but anyway, uh, that's so. It took me a while to finally sit down and finish these theses, but I had been working on translating them for a while. And uh, and what I what I noticed was how okay, so Luther is going back to the to the institution, and that's the main thing going on here. But Luther, while he's talking about the the absolution he's not it seems at first like he's sort of undercutting like you don't even need the priest right like you don't even need the minister but mm-hmm. when you read carefully you can see how he's actually setting the need for the minister in its proper place in its proper context um so maybe we could just kind of dive into the theses yeah, let's themselves let's get
0: into these theses
1: okay um so yeah, so he's uh, so he's uh, like I said, he's he's discussing this unity of the promise and faith, um, and but he's discussing it within in the context of of this the practice of penance and absolution, and so Luther is going to take issue with this distinction, and he's really he begins by sort of breaking down and even deconstructing this this treatment of of two types of uh, of remission. Uh, there's a uh, remission of punishment and remission of guilt. Um, and so, you know, you'd have your remission of guilt uh, through the absolution, but then you'd have to do penance to kind of burn off the the punishment. And yeah. so that's how you would gain remission of punishment. And so the full forgiveness of sins includes, really includes both. Um, and so that, so, so Luther is going to first talk about these two ecclesiastical types of forgiveness or remission. And, and, and he says uh, th- there remission of punishment, remission of guilt, and then he says remission of guilt uh, far surpasses it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he so he says, I'll just read him a little bit here. He says remission of guilt calms the heart and removes the greatest of all punishments, namely the sinful conscience. Um, sometimes remission of punishment increases a bad conscience. So if you take away someone's temporal consequences for sin, it actually can make him worse. yeah. Um, and, and sometimes it fosters a worse arrogance, right? Remission of guilt reconciles man to God, remission of punishment reconciles man to man, that is to the church. Mm-hmm. When guilt and conscience are remitted, there's no punishment and punishment, but joy in tribulation. Um, uh, man can be saved without remission of punishment, but in no way without remission of guilt. Uh, rather, it's useful for salvation. If having been absolved from guilt, one omits the redemption a punishment. So here he's taking, he's really taking a hammer to the status quo understanding of penance yeah. and saying this is not, it's in fact, it's not only not necessary, it can actually be harmful to, to set it up for people to think that, oh, well my, for, for your conscience to actually rely on, you know, doing pilgrimages or saying Hail Marys or, or, or whatever. Um, and so, so he's, so, so you can see though, how he's not being minimalistic though. Like when he goes back to the, to the promise and he says the promise of, of the remission of guilt uh, is, is, is the, the one thing needful. Mm-hmm. Um, it follows then that the outward pain that you have to go through in this life is good for you and is yeah. actually much better for you. Um, and so, so he's being, by going back to the institution, which we'll, he'll get more into later on, uh, he actually is being more conservative, um, radical, I suppose, in the true sense of that term, but not in the historical sense. Uh, just don't want to be uh, want to be careful there.
0: So, well, this is an interesting thing because you know, in our day, and you know, maybe within the last hundred years, it seems that we have Lutherans, modern Lutherans, have combined the remission of guilt and the remission of punishment t- together such that, uh, that, uh, if you've been forgiven your sins, there should be no temporal consequences whatsoever.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or but you're, there what, are you're, any-
0: what I'm seeing here is that Luther says they are distinct things and, um, God sorts that out, not the church.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so again, you know, Luther, and this is, this is uh, pretty typical of Luther to be very, very focused on this specific point that he's making um, where he's not, he's not addressing really how, I mean, he does sort of, uh, uh, but, but he's not addressing really how we as the church would administrate some kind of physical temporal punishment because there is a place for that, you know? So yeah. like if, If I if I go and um, you know cheat on my wife, right? I should not be in the ministry, right? Um, Can I be forgiven? Uh, Yes, of course. You know, a broken and contrite heart receives the absolution. Um, My absolution is not going to be dependent upon whether I do or don't stay in the ministry. Um, In fact, if I stay in the ministry and I don't have that. That imposition of, of of punishment of chastisement mm-hmm. that actually could hurt me <laughs> hurt my faith, right? Exactly. Um, and so, uh, and the same thing with you know if I'm embezzling money or w- w- any kind of like public scandal, um, which you know Luther isn't explicitly addressing here, but we can think about that. We can certainly uh, we can certainly apply this to that. So the church, it goes without saying that the church is going to have to. Administer some kind of punishment, but the point that Luther's making here is: don't think that the punishment or lack thereof uh, administered by the church is going to contribute to the uh, to 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 the absolution. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, if you try to micromanage it, I mean, what do we all know about legalism? Legalism always lowers the bar, right? And yeah. uh, and so that's how it ends up fostering uh, uh, a great arrogance. <laughs> Uh, that, that you somehow think that you have, uh, you, you, you have your certainty of salvation because you have, uh, because you have foregone certain, uh, consequences. Um, I remember, uh, Mark and I were in a Facebook argument years ago, back when Facebook arguments maybe were more vibrant than they are now. I don't know. (laughs) I don't get into them really anymore. Um not that much at least. Um, but anyway, we were, uh, we were talking about whether you can lose your faith and, or, and whether, uh, mortal sin. And you, you already have my brother, Stephen on about mortal sin. Luther yeah. touches on that here a bit, and we can talk about that later here, but, um, but just, but, but whether manifest sin, um, can actually make you lose your faith. And Stephen did a really good job explaining that, that really it begins in the heart. Um, and, uh, you know, why David, Luther says that David fell away uh, in his small-color articles. He said David fell away when he had the, the affair, the adultery, and the, and the murder, uh, when he committed those things. Um, but the reason why he fell away, those things were evidence that he had hardened his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so those things in and of themselves are not, uh, like, more damning, but they are evidence that the sin within him has ruled him. Right. And so Luther says like, you ca- he just says very frankly in his small College articles that you can't, you can't be committing these, these sins and still be a Christian. And so Mark and I were, my brother Mark and I were arguing with people about this and they were saying, no, 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 You can still be a Christian if you are like having an affair or whatever. And, and, um, and, and, and so I think that these guys were, they, they were uh, wanting to, they were afraid to say that because they, they didn't want to think that, uh, well, you know, there have been times when I've like fallen into sin. And so do I, was I not a Christian then, you know? And, it, and so I understand that concern. Um, but there was, a, during the course of the conversation, one guy then said, well, you've made me question my salvation, are you know, I have a. He said, I have a lot less certainty in my salvation now uh, uh, than than before this conversation, implying that Mark and I uh, uh, were like causes of stumbling to to his conscience. Right, mm-hmm. that we somehow w- caused him to doubt his salvation, and that's the worst thing that you can do. And. Mark's response to him was that wasn't certainty, that was carnal certainty. Right. The only and he said, the only certainty that you have is in the promise of the gospel. And that and that really that really puts um puts the iron in the fire there, that you can't find any other solace than in the gospel, in the promise. And if that's the case, then any other kinds of comforts that you that you that you think you see uh, are going to shrivel up, and it actually right. makes it make faith a lot harder. You know, you actually f- realize how difficult faith is, and really how impossible faith is for man. Yeah. Um, and so, this is what Luther's what Luther's getting at. So, yes, this is this is profoundly comforting to know that you have that full assurance of your salvation in the promise. But it's also it brings about great um, despair. To the, to the flesh <laughs> because the flesh doesn't want to find certainty in the, in the gospel wants to find right. certainty in
0: word forms so yeah so how does he continue what where, where does he take this
1: yeah so so this with this with this uh supremacy of the remission of guilt over that of punishment it reorientates the need to be released from temporal consequences or punishments and so rather they should serve these temporal consequences and punishments are going to serve as salutary crosses and exercises of faith um, yeah. rather than another step toward forgiveness through satisfaction of penance. So what he says, I'll just read uh, read Luther, he says remission of guilt does not depend on the contrition of the sinner, nor on the office or power of the priest. Now so far it sounds like he's saying that the priest is irrelevant and it actually, becomes more, sounds a lot more like that as he, as he continues, but I'm going to make the case that that's, he's not throwing out the necessity of a priest. Um, Mm -hmm. But but we'll we'll get to that. So rather it depends on faith and it is in the word of Christ who says, whatever you lose, et cetera. And he cites Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 19. So there he's going back to the institution. But again, as he's going back to the institution, what he's doing is he's going back to the promise so the faith relies on the promise. Um, so, so when you hear, I'll just make this comment before I continue reading. When you hear the absolution, you're not hearing your pastor. You're hearing Jesus. Yeah. And the pastor is simply speaking Jesus' words. Your faith is depending on the same institution, the same words that Christ spoke to his disciples when he said, "'Whosever sins, you forgive, they're
0: forgiven.'"
1: Mm-hmm. So, so Luther continues. He who hears forth.
0: you hears me. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that that actually makes that that is not prompt, prop, prompting up the 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 priest himself, but that is establishing the priest or the minister's office uh, that yeah. is his duty. So when Luther says it doesn't depend on the office or power of the priest, he's not he's he's distinguishing he's obviously speaking kind of loosely here where he's distinguishing office uh from uh from the institution um that is he's distinguishing the the priest's personal office uh from from the institution but you know of course luther would uh, would 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 say in other places um that the office is actually what Christ gave <laughs> it's these words are the office mm-hmm. um so anyway, so so he says, for it is true that the sacrament of faith does not justify, but the faith of the sacrament justifies. That is not because, mm-hmm. not because it is done, but because it is believed. Christ does not want the salvation of men to consist in the power and judgment of man. Um, and and so so, when, so he
0: go ahead when um in thesis eight when Luther is saying does it not depend on the office or power. Do you remember the Latin there? Is it like officium and? is he using a different Uh, word for office
1: um this is thesis eight Mm -hmm. yeah so it's officio.
0: um so yeah
1: i mean and and, you know office officium means uh duty um but it also in a more colloquial way would would refer to the 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 status um or the the station itself so you know and luther would speak as you know luther often speaks loosely depending on the context.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I'm just would be curious that that might be something fun to track down. Does he distinguish between office as duty and office as that, which has been established and does he use different words? And if he does, how does he, how does he make use of those?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, not that I know of, uh, he, you know, a good guy to read on this is, uh, Helmut Lieberg. Um, Mm. I, I believe it's called ministry and ordination in Lutheran Luther and Melanchthon. It was translated about three, four years ago by uh, Matthew Carver. Okay. Uh, and his first part is on Luther. And it's, it's really, really good. It shows, it really shows that uh, it, it shows that Walter was right. <laughs> uh, how Luther, and it really does a good job of showing how Luther can say that the ministry belongs to the whole, to every Christian, and yet still maintain the, the concrete office of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, of the ministry of the public ministry. So, um, but, uh, anyway, let me just go on here. I'll just skip ahead a little bit here. Um, he says that, uh, that they make a a great mistake. Um, and, 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 uh, to even to unfaithfulness who sow an uncertain remission of guilt for the sake of an uncertainty of contrition. So they would say, Oh, well, is he contrite enough? And we are going to base the absolution upon whether he's contrite enough. And you see this mm-hmm. in the, in the apology, we criticize this in the apology as well. Um, or the apology crit- criticizes it where, um, you know, where, Oh, if you're not contrite, at least do you wish that you were contrite, you know, and <laughs> then we kind of bring up that and all. And so that Luther is, you know He's attacking that right away. Um, and, uh, and then he says in 14, in thesis 14, as much as the priest might be as uncertain as the sinner about contrition, the absolution is valid if he believes that he is absolved. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's certain. This key, really the key thesis here is thesis 15. Therefore, it is certain that sins are remitted if you believe they are remitted because the promise of Christ the Savior is certain.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so... The certainty of faith is is grounded in the certainty of of the promise, um, and that is what uh, that that is that is really the power of 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 the priest. And I think what Luther is doing here is when he when he says uh, office and power of the priest, he's really setting up what the true office and power is. Yeah. Um, and that is these words. So he, so thesis seventeen. He who doubts that his absolution is a gift from God at the same time doubts that Christ is sincere when he says, "Whatever you bind, etc., or mm-hmm. whatever you loose, etc." So, so, so again, um, Luther is finding the certainty of faith in its object, um, and uh, and and this is what the authority of the priest is, which he's going to make even clearer uh, later on um so i mean he he's very he sounds almost repetitive in ways he keeps going back to that that it goes back to the the institution and promise of christ but as we'll see here the, the when 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 you take away the 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 dependency on the contrition which of course obviously like you pointed out before these things are still important. In fact, contrition, you can't have the forgiveness of sins in your heart if you aren't contrite. Right. Right. Um, and yet contr- the, the absolution doesn't depend on your contrition, you know? Right. And so to make that narrow, n- narrow point is, is really to Luther is, uh, is hammering this through in order to, as we will see really, establish the true power um, mm-hmm. of this office. Um, and it should give any, anyone who's in this office the confidence that his office is, mm-hmm. is truly ensued by Christ.
0: So what he's, what he's pointing out here, it seems, is like, okay, we are distinguishing between um, what is necessary for one to receive versus mm-hmm. ne- necessary for this to be actual absolution. In other words, like if you don't have contrition, that doesn't call into question the absolution. It calls into question faith.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um,
0: does that does that distinguish distinction make sense? Like he's saying that you have contrition doesn't make absolution efficacious. It the absolution is efficacious. You just don't actually believe it,
1: yeah, that's the implication here, yeah, um, but like in like in 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 thesis fourteen, where he says it's 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 not about the uncertainty of the contrition, you can have uncertainty about how contrite you are, yeah, um, but if you believe the promise, well, then you're contrite, right, like that's you know <laughs> that so uh so I mean that's and and again this the, there is obviously going to be that existential um struggle going on here uh mm-hmm. as paul describes in, in in romans chapter seven uh but what, what luther is taking taking the object of faith and putting it in its proper spot so that you're not not the, you're not concerned about contrition but that you don't put the cart before the horse right. um, if you desire the forgiveness of sins then that means that you are contrite. Now, if you say, Oh, well, I just want to get away with it so I can go and do whatever I want. Well, you don't actually desire the forgiveness of sins then.
0: Right. Cause you want <laughs> you know? to keep doing it.
1: Yeah. You want to keep doing it, uh, to be loosed from your sins means that you are freed from your sins. And, uh, now you can look and see how, Oh, well, I don't feel fully free from my sins. Um, you know, never mind what, uh, what, uh, Wesley would say. Um, well, that isn't what makes you forgiven. Um, right. now, obviously you're going to want to feel free from your sins. Don't you want to? I mean, I don't fault, uh, Wesley for wanting to have that feeling of utter freedom from sin. I think that's a wonderful desire. It's a great desire and we should mm-hmm. pursue that. And God does give us the taste of it in the sac, in this, in the word and the sacrament. Um, but, if you, if you are basing faith, um, upon that criteria, then you're never going to have faith and faith is never going to actually rest in Christ's words, which are not mm-hmm. wise. So, um, so why, why don't we just move on? So, um, yeah. so, so he, like he says in, 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 in 18, that you can't build remission upon contrition. It's, it's building upon sand. Um, and it's an insult, um, Uh, uh, of the sacrament and it turns the sacrament into an engine of despair um, not to believe the absolution until the contrition is certain. So notice here that he doesn't say, um, he doesn't talk about like whether you have contrition, but rather it's whether your contrition is certain, right? So so the assumption here is that you are contrite, (laughs) you know, but he's just, his only point here is that don't rely on how, on, on how certain you are that you're contrite. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times do you, does it happen with you, whether it's in the corporate confession or it's in private confession, where you go and you're confessing your sins and you have little thoughts saying, ah, I don't know if I'm really sorry about that, right? Yeah. Of course, It happens all the time because you have your sin. Yeah. Um, but what do you do? I mean, what have you learned to do in those circumstances, whether, w- whichever context it is when you are confessing your sins and receiving the absolution? is you focus on the words that the words of the confession, but especially on the words of Jesus, you know, listen to his words. He's freeing you from your sin. Um, And uh, and so to want to build on the, on the confidence, um, to want to, to build your confidence of your conscience upon contrition is to want God to establish his truth upon an error because your conscience by nature is, is wrong. <laughs> and, yes. and, and, and it needs to be, uh, it needs to be grounded in the truth. So, um, so he, he returns to the theme of the priest later on here in, in verse uh, in, in a uh, thesis 23, where he says, priests are not the authors of remission, but, and this is where, again, he, he gets to the point about the priest and he reestablishes them. He says, but ministers of the word of remission and faith. Right, so now he returns to that the issue of potentia. So, um, in, um, in 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 uh, thesis twenty four, uh, the pot, the the potestas, uh, the, yeah. pot, the potestas clavium, So the, the power of the keys. Um, so again, th- this is as before. He's talking about you know the, the power of the priest. Well, he's speaking of the priest personally. You know, and obviously he's going after this idea that the priest has been invested with his personal power, right? Mm -hmm. But now he says, no, the power of the keys works by the word and mandate of God as an enduring and infallible work, unless you should be deceitful. So of course, then, you know, if you don't believe it, Um, and then he says the priest, and this is really interesting here because there's a lot to unpack, (laughs) um, but he's making a very narrow point. in in thesis 25 says the priest has sufficient signs for the evidence of contrition. If he perceives that the sinner seeks and believes the absolution.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So he's actually, he's giving some very good advice here. He's not being minimalistic. It might seem like he is, but pay attention to the words. He says, if he perceives that the sinner seeks and believes the absolution, you, you, so let's say you have someone come to your, uh, You you have someone uh, uh, meet with you, and he's talking about some sin, and then you say, "Okay, well, well, do you want absolution?" And then he just says, "I I guess. I mean, I just just want these problems to go away, you know." Because usually, what it is, it where where if you've ever done like whether it's marriage counseling or some kind of like uh, crisis counseling, um, where someone has sinned by nature, and this is so often the case, he's f- he's so focused on all of the other problems he's going through and thinking about, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. And if you ask him, sometimes it happens where you ask, like, do you want to hear the gospel? Do you want to hear absolution that your sins are forgiven. Sometimes you, you can kind of perceive that, well, that it actually becomes very clear that, they don't. They just want their wife to come back to them, or they want, yeah. you know, they their, get their job back. They want to be able to go back to some better spot that they were in, mm-hmm. you know, a year ago. You know, and they don't actually want the one thing needful, and that's not that hard to discern. He's Luther's not saying that 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 he needs to uh, look into his heart, no, but he should be able to perceive from the... That the penitent, uh, outwardly, (laughs) that he wants and believes the forgiveness of sins. So, um, and and uh, and then he says, then he goes further and says, uh, in reality, it should be more extensively inquired of him whether he believes that he is absolved than whether he is worthily sorry. So, so again, that sounds kind of minimalistic. Like, oh well, what if he says, well, yeah, I am sorry, but. uh, I I still want to keep on doing keep on doing this thing right. well, again what does uh, what does absolvo mean it means to free right yeah. to unbind so to be absolved means he wants to be freed from this so when Luther says in a small catechism uh that 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 uh he wants to do better right when you you, yes. you, you want to do better that is part and parcel with the desire to receive the forgiveness of sins, to be freed from the very thing, uh, the, from the very sin that you have been committing, um, and and so it's it, it, this this actually gives us. Uh, now we can obviously go so far and say, oh well, I don't think you really do want to be freed because if you really wanted to be freed from it, then you would follow all of these little bits of penance that I put upon you. Um, and that, and, 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 and Luther is, is saying, no, 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 go, just go back to Jesus's words. It's very Mm -hmm. simple. Um, that whatever you lose, Jesus says that your sins are forgiven, that you are freed from your sins. Do you believe Jesus? And if he says yes, then you, you absolve him. Now, obviously, again, Luther's not getting into all, he's not writing a pastoral, uh, theology here, right? <laughs> These are right. like fifty, what fifty some fifty theses or something like that. Yeah, fifty mm-hmm. theses uh, for the sake of a of a debate on the issue of penance. Um, but this does bring us back to we should we should return to that first principle that uh, when in doubt, you see, does he actually want to be forgiven? Does he actually desire show? Does he actually say that he believes that? this is the forgiveness of sins. And honestly, I mean, in my experience, especially in our day and age where like private confession, for example, has just like, we just like lost it for yeah. some reason. Um, I find that when I say with you know, and I don't always do this. I mean, I might just talk to him and, and give him a, and then he sh- shows that he's, he's repentant. And I might just in a more informal way, be like, okay, well, are you confessing your sins? Do you believe that my forgiveness is, is Christ's forgiveness? And, says yes, and I just forgive him a sins. Other times, I say, "Let's go into the chapel or into the church, and go through absolution." But I find that in either of those cases, uh, it's kind of it. It really is quite the experience because it's totally out of the ordinary. You know, it's uh, and, and, and I would argue that even even if we did it on a regular basis, um, it would not. It would still be out of the ordinary. It's very unusual <laughs> to stand. And confess your sins, um, or or kneel and confess your sins, and then receive absolution. Right. Uh, and and so you know when you when people are actually willing to go through that, uh, and they sh- they when you say, "Do you believe that my my forgiveness is not mine but God's?" And they say, "Yes." Could they be lying? Yeah, of course they could be lying. That's possible. But boy, that is ample evidence, uh, as ample evidence as you're going to get. And then, you know, as far as the other things that you gotta to talk to him about and say, well, hold on, you gotta stop doing this. Okay, now that you're freed, now that Christ has set you free, you really gotta show some fruit of repentance. Okay. That's an obvious thing that we should that we should deal with. But Luther isn't elaborating as much on that. Yeah. So um he's certainly not being minimalistic.
0: Yeah, um, and he he's not like you said, he's not giving a pastoral theology in in terms of, right, so now what does that look like? After the fact, or um, you know, here are some things that I've learned as uh, you know one experienced in fighting against sin. Here are some helpful things that you can incorporate in your life to either avoid those things or to uh, to withstand the temptation.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and and uh, and Luther very much gets into that in other writings. Right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, uh, so, uh, uh, there's no shortage of that. Um, so, uh, so, so again, then he kind of reiterates, you know, that it's about remission of the, the keys whose sins you should remit, et cetera, are they they're about the remission of, of, of guilt, um, not the remission of punishment. Um, And so here, what he's doing now, what he's done now is he's established what the priest's job is and where the true power of the priest lies, Um, that is, as a minister of the word and the promise of faith, uh, through faith. Um, But then uh, what he he says here, uh, like I said, he's simplifying the priest's examination um, by simply asking the penitent if he believes himself to be absolved. Um, And one of the things that you, that, that you can notice is that by nature people actually, they tend to care more about the punishment than the sin. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was just mentioning, uh, you know, you, you, you talk to you, it it can happen where you talk to someone whose whose wife has left him uh, or wife is filing for divorce because he cheated on her and you're talking to him and he's like, yeah, I just want her to come back. And that's all he can talk about, you know, and that's all he can think about is that he's suffering the consequences. Um, and so, so this is why Luther's counsel here is, and his breakthrough here, his insight here is, it's absolutely central, not just to our doctrine, but to our life in the church. Um, that, uh, that, that a guy whose only concern is that his wife isn't living with him. Uh, well, that's the least of your concerns, man. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna go to hell if you don't repent. If you don't, Mm -hmm. if you don't have the forgiveness of sins, if, 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 if you don't believe the gospel that Jesus has freed you through his blood, uh, then, then, uh, then, then you're, then you're damned. You know, that, that's a much bigger issue. You're guilty before God. Don't you want that more than anything? And, you know, I, and I've had people who have certainly recognized that and have, um, found great comfort in that. And actually it ends up going well for them uh, where they, they, they get, they're able to bear their cross and get through it um, whether their marriage is restored or not. And that's a wonderful, wonderful blessing when that happens. Um, But, but anyway, um, so Luther goes on. uh, So, so our status in the church and the, and the world are, are, they're going to find, they're not going to find any promises in these words of Christ. Um, instead it's how we, how we stand before God. And so what Luther, what Luther says going on is he says, just as the priest teaches, baptizes, truly communes, and these things are nevertheless of the spirit alone working within, that is within the, the baptizing and the, and, the, and the communion and the teaching. Uh, he's, he goes on, in this way, he truly remits sins and absolves from guilt. And nevertheless, this is of the spirit alone working within, that is working within the word. Um, here you see, I mean, this is separates Luther from the later radical reformers right. um, and you know, from the Calvinists, that the spirit is working within the word and sacraments. Um, mm-hmm. And while he administers, so he's focusing, tr- so you see how Luther has kind of shifted then onto the actions of the priest, right? Yeah. So he's before he's going after, he's going after this idea that it's dependent upon the actions of the priest, It's only the promise. Well, now that he has established what the promise is and what the whole ministry, what the essence of the ministry is, that is Mm -hmm. these words of our Lord Jesus, he now then gets into what the priest is doing. So while he administers the word of Christ, at the same time, it works in all of them by faith by which the sinner is justified within. For nothing justifies except faith alone in Christ, sola fides Christi. To which is necessary the ministry of the word by the priest. <laughs> Notice there what yeah, how he has now reestablished the priest. So it's like he has he has torn the priest down in order to exalt him to his proper spot and to really yeah. actually show him where he where he is. So he says he, I mean let me just say repeat that again. He says nothing justifies except faith alone in Christ. To which is necessary the ministry of the word by the priest so here we have him establishing faith alone the central article and 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 what and this is this is inseparable from the ministry of the word which again is yours just straight from the mouth of Jesus if you regardless of what the priest thinks or does and yet but he still doesn't get rid of the priest he he brings the priest back and says by the priest right so here you don't have you 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 don't have the ministry without ministers now can you have the ministry without ministers yeah of course you know if you are you're a christian you believe the word let's say that there let's say you're you're in you know soviet russia and your pastors have all been sent to gulags and killed um and you're you're a lady with her children and you're just teaching them the word your the ministry is yours and you're serving as a minister in ways to your to those children although you you're 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 not having the lord's supper um uh you know you you but 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 you still have the ministry the ministry is yours the ministry still exists and it's not merely in the abstract it's concretely it's you personally believe it and confess it and yet what that doesn't change the fact that god has established this public office mm-hmm. um and there and, and, and they're inseparable. So whether he's teaching, baptizing, commuting, remitting sins, and absolving, um, it's the, 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 he brings it back to that. This is the action of the Spirit in the administration of the Word and sacraments of Christ. It's the same promise. Um, so, so anyway, so I mean the 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 ministry. Um, well, anyway, let's just uh, go. I'll, I'll stop there for now. Um, do you have any, any other questions or comments on on that? I've been kind of running through this.
0: No, I think uh, he's done a really great job of, of as you said, uh, tearing down kind of all of the, the add-ons that had happened from you know, the medieval church to what the ministry was. Tear that down to its um, uh, f- foundational structure and then start building back up. I mean, as mm-hmm. you said, go back to the sources.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and so here he, as he moves on, he does then get into the the, the fact that a priest can abuse this. Yes, he can. He can. You know, as Jesus says, "Do not throw pearls before swine." Um, and what has been what has been argued there? I remember my great 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 grandpa was uh, in a debate on objective justification, um, which really centered around this the topic of the very practical topic about about the absolution, the certainty of the absolution. And he said, uh, one of his arguments was the very fact that Jesus says, don't throw pearls before swine um, shows that you actually can throw pearls before swine and they (laughs) are still pearls, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the, so he says uh, in, in thesis 35, the priest can abuse the key and sin by absolving that, which he ought not to absolve as far as it is restricted, but, uh, the absolution is not null unless at the same time there's no faith of the one who's absolved, just as in baptism and communion, even the one restricted of the key and prohibited truly baptizes and communes so much more in penance, the one prohibited truly absolves, provided the guile of the one being absolved was absent um, and 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 that's it's interesting though because uh you could take this you could take this in the wrong direction and say, oh well. The word isn't the word, isn't true, um, if you don't believe it. Well, the point that he's making here, and he's using the wor- words like guile and deceit, the, the point that that we can draw from this is that those who, it's like what John says in his first epistle, I believe chapter five, um, where he says, those who do not believe God have made him a liar mm-hmm. because they have not believed the testimony that he's given by his son. So, So, so the, it's the absolution in and of itself stands, of course, even if the one being absolved doesn't believe it, the words are still true, but the act itself, um, is, is, is only, uh, is, is only overthrown, um, by, uh, by not believing it. And it's not that you actually can literally overthrow the word. You can't do that. But what you're doing is you're calling God a liar. Um, So it's a different sin. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's, so the absolution for that sin stands, but you've Mm -hmm. created a different sin by guile, making God a liar, not believing the word.
1: Yeah. And I would say the absolution turns into condemnation. Yeah. um, That you've turned God's promise into a curse. I mean, you just see this all over in scripture. Um, I mean, you have like, look at that man receives sinners and eats with them. It's like, Oh, you're speaking the gospel. And yet that's, that's coming down on you as judgment because you are blaspheming against Christ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, um, so then he goes on a fickle priest and one who plays or knowingly acts against a restriction, nevertheless absolves. So there, he says right there that he acts against a restriction. That is he, he, uh, uh, that he, he forgives someone who shouldn't be receiving the absolution. So there, he says it right there that he nevertheless absolves. And then he takes take the case which is impossible. He gives this impossible scenario that one who is to be absolved is not contrite, and yet he believes that he is absolved. This one is truly absolved. So <laughs> it's like so he he says, of course, it's impossible to have faith in the absolution and not be contrite. But then he he he's speaking hyperbolically here, where he's like, but. But if that were possible, if that could happen, then yes, you would be absolved because it's only faith, right? Yeah. So he's really, kind of, he's really hammering through the point that contrition does not contribute to the absolution at all, even though it is impossible to uh, be absolved through faith, to, that is to have faith in the absolution um, while not having contrition. Right. Yeah. Um is he so, at this so,
0: point distinguishing between you know the 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 pangs of conscience the 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 feeling sorrow and then like the outward showing of that contrition or does he is he at this point even understanding contrition as just the 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 having sorrow over that sin?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's certainly in the background here. Um yeah. and and that's at at the very beginning with his you know his distinction between remission of guilt and remission of punishment, because yeah. Luther understands that what people desire more is to be freed from the the outward consequences. They de- yeah. they desire that more, and so that would be attrition, right? Yeah. like fear. That's so, fear that of is punishment. so
0: true. Mm-hmm. That's that is so true. That we 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 want to appear as though we're right. So mm-hmm. we prize. Our, our our status before men more than we pr- prize our status before God.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I know it within my own sinful nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's a constant battle um, to uh, you know. Jesus says, "Don't fear those who can only kill the body. Fear God. He has authority over body and soul." Yeah. Um, so then he he says, "Neither should he be un, neither should he, he be able to hinder any reservation of cases or restriction." if it still is and remains unknown. So that actually Luther does give us some very good concrete, straightforward pastoral guidance. If it's unknown, if it remains unknown, like if you're suspicious that this guy is like, you know, is, is, is living in some kind of impenitent sin. Um, then you're not, you cannot, uh, hinder him. Um, if, 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 if you don't actually know, Um, and, and there are tough man, I mean, that's the thing that I noticed being a pastor. Uh, it, it, it took me a while to realize this, that, wow, you do have lots of, you're going to get lots of suspicions that sometimes do turn out to be true. And so you, there is a sense where you kind of go with, you know, you, you sort of, I wouldn't say trust your instincts, trust God, uh, do not judge anything that's not in the light, but often you will find and this kind of this takes wisdom practical wisdom you will find often that these reservations that you have turn out to be true um Mm -hmm. in some in some form but but again this is this is getting at then that it's not about your power um it's about the word and the word is what reveals things it brings things to light and it actually uh, uh brings about the the true absolution so and you know what he's going after here too then is this this, this idea of the ex opera, opera operato um, by the doing of the work, you know, that originally was actually a well-intended uh, yeah. phrase, right? It was, it was going after the heresy of the Donatists um, mm-hmm. who, 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 who were, 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 were locating the efficacy of word and sacrament in the priest. Right? But what's interesting is that this, this use of, the, 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 this application of this phrase of the doing of the work ended up, uh, uh, s- doing the same thing that the dietists did, <laughs> uh, where it makes you rely on the priest doing all the right things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, and the penitent doing all the right things rather than simply on the word, uh, which, which, which brings it all about. So, um, so, so Luther, you know, Luther is, uh, He's he speaking. He speaks in one breath, as he typically does, of this power of faith, which is subjective, which we call a subjective, and then that 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 power of the promise. Um, and uh, uh, but his point is not to it, it, it's not to refocus the certainty of salvation from the priest into the individual Christian, right? Yeah. I think that's an important point. Instead, his intention is to reunite faith and the promise. The promise is objective, um, and that's precisely why the priest can't hinder the 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 absolution um, with things that are unknown to him. Um, But, but, uh, but, but what it shows is that the, the 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 Christian in himself does have that certainty in himself, not because he finds it in his conscience or he finds it within his own feelings or whatever, but that he find he actually does have an even more objective. Uh, concrete, uh, certainty than the priest standing in front of him. Um, and the priest simply is the mouthpiece for that. But anyway, um, so, so, uh, uh, the Luther, obviously, I mean, this is, this shouldn't be anything really new to anyone who's read the yeah. confessions, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, and read Luther, um, Luther, these are things that Luther brings out late, you know, in, in small call articles and, and several other writings as well. Um, but, uh, but he, but, but you can see though, how early on Luther isn't just being like, sometimes we might get the impression that early Luther is sort of like existentialist Luther. Right. Huh. And he's this, uh, liberal, more liberal Luther or, uh, uh, more free thinking Luther, and so he's he's focusing on the kind of inner powers of the individual, you know, right. like and and then later on becomes more kind of uh, conservative and and all that kind of stuff. But again, Luther is simply grounding it on the institution. He's actually being very conservative here. Yeah. Um, so uh, so he's being very precise and actually gives us a great counsel for pastoral care. So let me just finish off his thesis here, then we can kind of wrap it up. Um, I'll just go ahead and read the last, like, I don't know, last eight or so. Uh, he says, the sacraments of the new law are not such efficacious signs of grace that in receiving them it should be enough merely, merely not to set up an obstacle. There he's going after um, like Peter Lombard and stuff that's in, 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 the, in the scholastics um, mm-hmm. that uh that uh the 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 new law being the new testament so the sacraments are efficacious as long as you don't just do anything outwardly to 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 oppose uh to 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 set up a a stumbling block um but he who receives anything without faith falsely receives and by this receives to his own judgment Mm -hmm. the sacraments of the old and new law are different in this way uh that the former are of the flesh but the latter are the spirits that justify so the former Sacraments mean like the sacrifices and stuff, that those were for the washing of the outward flesh. Yeah. Um, uh, but the others are, are actually justified as the word of the one promising and therefore also the faith of the one who receives the remission is present in the new and absent in the old now. We could quibble over, you know, it's interesting because I was reading Bren's on this, uh, on um, like the sacraments of the Old Testament, that there were different, and and, and there were different takes on the Old Testament sacraments. Um, They would even call them sacraments, uh, like Bren's would call them sacraments, uh, Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that there was a promise attached to it. But the thing about that was that it was not fulfilled. Um, So... You know, you could still reconcile. That's what Luther's saying here: that Christ has not fulfilled the promise that was attached to circumcision, for example, or to the Passover. Um, and uh, so, so anyway, just as and then he gets into venial and mortal sins. Uh, just as venial sins do not pertain to confession and the absolving key, neither do any mortal sins. Um, if Uh, If a man holds that all mortal sins are to be confessed and absolved from them, then he holds to what is simply impossible. No one discerns how much one sins mortally, even in good works because of vainglory. They are such that it ought to be confessed, and whether to oneself or to others, they are certainly to be mortal sins, that is, crimes. Um, Concerning the remaining mortal sins in the one despairing of himself, one ought confidently, uh, that is, with faith, uh, f- uh, cum fiducia uh, to throw them into the abyss by the mercy of God who faithfully promises now Luther puts this in much better way in in, in the in the keys where he says before the pastor we should confess those which we know and feel in our hearts yeah. um, and but then before God we we confess all sins, even the ones that we don't know. Um, so that you can see how this kind of sets the stage for a lot of the groundwork for the reformation. Um, and that we, so like I said, none of this should be, should be unfamiliar to, to a Lutheran, uh, to someone who studies Lutheran theology. Um, but, but it, it was neat to see how Luther is, you know, how Luther is, uh, uh, Going how he how he kind of discovered this stuff, and it's and and, and how uh, the first principles um, uh, it really shows how the, the centrality of justification, the centrality of, of faith relying on Christ the crucified and His promise alone, um, that that being the central article, it, it was much more than just being like the hottest topic at that time in history. Um, whereas today, that maybe the central article is like you know, transgenderism or something like that. No, it's the central article because it's, it's, it's at the, it's at the very heart of everything that Christ gave to his church of the entire ministry of the word and the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and Luther just summarizes all of his theses by just quoting Romans one that it's not by works, neither by the law, by faith does the righteous live. Uh, and so, so here, um, you know, again, like I said, he's not getting into a whole lot of order um, and like who should be called and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But what he does get to is what he, he really, he really uh, tears things down, tears down all of the, uh, uh, the, the, the dross in order to establish what the ministry actually is. And honestly, this is, this is in very much in the, in the nature of a disputation, right? Yeah. If you a disputation is not so much a positive, it's not really a positive dogmatic uh, thesis. Um, it's more a it's 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 a it's a polemic, right? So you, you're it's an apologetic where you're tearing down the 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 bad arguments and you're kind of deconstructing. Um, the uh, uh the, that which is which is hindering the truth um and then of course you know then establishing what the truth is so so yeah i mean if you're looking for like a treatise on you know whether uh uh you know whether uh, uh we should uh, allow the smp program or something like that um uh, yeah this isn't necessarily going to be the what the, the thing to read but if you really want to just see luther at work in locating, uh, the, 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 the the certainty of salvation, um, in the, 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 the pure definition, um, and institution of the ministry, uh, then this is, uh, this would be worth taking a look at.
0: Yeah. So I think I remember Lowell Green writing about, um, you know, where to put, individual confession absolution or private absolution in the schema of word and sacrament, and he puts it in word. So how does this play out, these theses, how does it play out with regard to Lutheran preaching, if we understand this office of the keys as as residing in the application of the word of God in preaching?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Preaching, of course, is going to be more uh, expository, yeah. um, and uh, and so what Luther's getting at here is really at the essence. He's getting at the essence and what we would call the narrow sense mm-hmm. of the ministry. Right. So we talk about the mer- narrow sense of the gospel. It's precisely the same as the narrow sense of the ministry um, that Christ has uh, died for our sins. That he that he that he absolves of, uh, us of our sins. But as you can see here in the background people need to be trained for this particular thing. Um, You know, we talk about, we we used to hear talks about setting the table, like sermons that set the table. And yeah, that's, uh, I I think that that, that's similar to what what we can say with this as well, that you're preparing people to believe the absolution, to believe the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus are simple. Um, you don't need to go to seminary to learn the words of Jesus, but going to seminary does help you in uh, reinforcing and continually applying the words of Jesus. And what's part and parcel to that is actually teaching people uh, the the whole counsel of God. And uh, so I'd say that the the sermon, you know, I one thing that has kind of annoyed me, and I I I, I I've heard this from guys who I very much respect. Um, but I would see this I mean, really in seminary, I haven't really seen it much since, but there was, I don't know if it was a trend for a while where the pastor would be like, well, I'm in the office so I can just absolve like any time or whatever. Um, and so he's preaching the sermon and then he says, and, I, and he preaches the law, like I guess presumably really hard, but not necessarily that hard. Usually it's kind of vague and like, we're not devoted enough, you know, um, and then he says, but I absolve you in the stone command of Christ. And I don't know if you've ever seen that where a guy like from the pulpit, like gives an absolution. I and know. I think, <laughs> I, I think that, that, that misses the point where, um, the absolution is at the center of, of everything. Um, the the, 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 the loosing key is at the center of, 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 of everything It's what faith clings to be precisely because it's the words of Jesus. So yes, it should be at the center of your preaching, but your preaching is not just simply going up and reciting the absolution. Your preaching is instructing people in their lives. Um, uh, uh, you know, apply this to consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments, as Luther says. Well, that means that we should teach the Ten Commandments. We should teach them their stations in life. We should teach them where God has placed them, um, what God says about everything uh, revealed in the words so that people can be prepared for the absolution so that their consciences may rest upon uh, nothing but the absolution, um, and I think if we if we try to turn it into kind of a programmatic sort of thing, we can easily slip into the same thing that Luther was combating, where it yeah. becomes this, this like outward process that you go through, where it's like, okay, now the pastor is going to say a bunch of stuff, and then we're going to try to feel bad about it, and hopefully by the time he gets to the gospel part, we feel bad enough. <laughs> um, You know, and, uh, and that's, I mean, that's something that, that could happen even with good preaching, with good, thoughtful, detailed preaching, but we, we should be aware of that, that that's what the heart does. The heart, the the heart by nature, it's deceitful beyond all measure. Um, and it's going to take the good things of God. It's going to take his absolution and turn it into some kind of programmatic method that we're just following, um, and so what this, I guess to answer your question is that what this does is, yes, I would agree that it is a, I don't know. I mean, is it the word of the sacrament? Well, the sacrament is the word, you know, yeah. but, the, but the sacrament is the word that has, the, it, it, it's taken on the form of whatever Christ instituted. So that's where Luther doesn't doesn't separate the command from the promise. And I think that sometimes we, I, know, I know that Luther talks about this in his, in his large catechism about um, joining the word to the element and it makes it a sacrament. But I think sometimes we get too bogged down with what's a sacrament and what isn't. Um, yeah. I, I think instead what would, be, what would be more helpful is to consider what is the command and what is the promise. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so the command is, uh, is going to bring with it an actual form. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and and one that is uh, by divine right. Um, and so then we can distinguish that divine form uh, from the particular ceremonies that we might uh, uh, supplement it with for the sake of teaching. But again, that's for the sake of going back, showing them the promise. So, I mean, why do we sing the August day? Do we have to sing the August day? Well, no. Mm. Um, is it contrary to Christ's institution to, 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 to take it to not have it? No. But why do we sing it? Because it teaches us to trust in Jesus's words, yeah, you know, and so uh, and and to trust in, the, in 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 the institution that this is the body and blood of Jesus, um, mm-hmm. and so the same thing with with just the ministry in general, um, with the absolution, the, the promise is whoever sins you you remit the remitted, um, the command is that Christ has actually given this to his church and he calls men to carry it out. So that, so I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but I guess I would say that if you're going to teach this in preaching, you need to, they need to know what the promise is and their faith needs to be cling cling to the promise, but they should also know the form of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, And, and, and the form that Christ has instituted and, and so, and you can make use then of the kind of things that are already there. Um, like here, we have pews here. We have an altar. Um, but what is essential here? What's essential is the gathering. And yeah, and I don't know. I mean, th- these are things that we had to kind of, we had to really talk about this stuff during COVID. Correct. Right? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of rambled a little bit there. But, no, that's,
0: that's fair. Uh, you I mean, have, I think. Yeah yeah what
1: are your
0: thoughts on that? Um, well, I just was um you know operating as the priest in this regard to to speak um, just plainly in terms of what you're called to do, which is to preach repentance unto the forgiveness of sins. So that requires you know, not um, having the right outline or anything like that, but actually preaching the word of God, like yeah. you said. Yeah, in, yeah. And in, in, in all of its, uh, in, in, to the extent that it's given to you in that text. Um, and uh, obviously you're distinguishing law and gospel, but that's, that doesn't give you a particular outline that you're following or that mm-hmm. you have to say repent at a certain point and you're turning now to the gospel side, but that you are teaching... What Jesus taught to them to bring about repentance and faith.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that and so just to, it, it's good for us, you know. I think lately we've been we've been uh, on this hobby horse, which isn't a bad hobby horse, to say, hey, we need to be actually teaching and not just giving like conversion sermons um, yeah. every Sunday. Uh, and uh, and so remember that uh, preaching a sermon just on marriage and just explain what marriage is, for example, that's that's a good thing. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, 50% or 30% law and, the, you know, the rest gospel. Okay. Um, and that we, we talk about the gospel in its broad sense, but we can't, um, we can't neglect the gospel in its narrow sense uh, because like my brother James pointed this out, you know, there are people who are Pastors who can be kind of dull and think, oh, well, now I'm just going to preach like moralizing sermons because that's kind of the trend now. And I think we got to be careful with that. But one of the things, though, that I've noticed with the way that Luther talks and the way scripture talks um, is uh, like you go to Romans 1 16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Okay. The, the gospel, in its narrow sense, is really the the, the gospel in its office and what it actually does. It is the power to save. And the gospel in its broad sense is the whole body of of doctrine um, and and, and even calling it the gospel in its broad sense uh, is implying that at the center of it is that narrow promise of, of, of Christ to which faith clings. And so we have to stay focused on that. And I do think that I, I really do think that we we should be uh we should be keeping the gospel uh always in mind and you should read through your sermon and be like did I preach the gospel clearly and you know and if you didn't then go back to it now does that mean that you got to cut it all out and, and 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 not teach and then just turn it into this kind of existentialist sort of you know program of like you're all bad. And now here's Jesus. Um, no, like go get into the text, dig in, bring in, you know, recognize the unity of scripture, bring in other themes from scripture that, that pertain to that, try to make it simple and understandable um, and teach. Do, and that's great. But it but what I like to do is look through my sermon and see, okay, did I teach the, the theme that call, that is called for in this pericope? Um, d- did I do that clearly? Okay. Now, did I, teach clearly the gospel. Um, okay. That's what I'm looking for. And does that mean that the gospel is as pronounced every single time? No. And, 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 and that actually can become very programmatic too. And so you want to be able to find how the gospel is, is applied, um, in these particular things. And so the voice, the living voice of our savior is something that's, that's it's everywhere in scripture, but it's just from different angles. It, this kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about uh, several months ago about, about the kind of rhetorical Loki method, um, mm-hmm. where a, a, a topic of theology is an invasive theme that's going to arise depending on the context of scripture. And it's not just yeah. going to be the same kind of bland, you know, statement again and again and again. Um, but it's, ne- it's but it's good for us to know these topics well and to know at the center of it the central topic is Christ crucified for sinners and uh, 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 and, and faith clinging to the promise um, and that and, and if we have that, that 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 always in mind that's that's going to actually it should make us better preachers and better teachers of the whole counsel
0: of God. Yeah. So so no yeah. that's good Andrew thank you. Um, yeah. Thanks for this article. If you guys don't uh, have this resource already, Servant of Christ Church, a Festschrift in honor of John R. Stevenson, uh, pick it up. You can get it at Lulu. Um, you can find it on the uh, Gottesdienst blog, um, a link to, to purchasing that. Uh, I really do recommend the, the entire volume. So, and thank you, Andrew, for your contribution.
1: Yeah, uh, you're welcome, and thank you for uh, for the privilege of talking about it.